0: talk about God's timing. So I started my Ezekiel series two years ago, and if I had started working on this lesson like a month ago, I would have had a totally different take on it. But as you look at everything going on in the Middle East today, I see this chapter in a whole new light. So today we're going to start into Ezekiel 25. These are his prophecies against the non-Jewish nations, the Gentile nations. And so this was written to the ancient versions of these nations, but they contain a message that could be applied to some of the geopolitics of our modern times, and perhaps even to your life and my life as well. And if you listen to the end, you're going to gain a whole new perspective on what's going on with these people called the Palestinians that you hear about so much in the news. So grab a Bible, turn to Ezekiel 25, and let's hear all about it today on the Cross References Podcast. (laughs) Welcome to the Cross References podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's word will make more sense to you after every episode. My name is Luke Taylor, and I'm a Gentile, and that means that I am a non-Jew. The first 24 chapters of Ezekiel was written to the Jews, but starting with chapter 25, God and Ezekiel shift their attention to the Gentiles. And so this book is about to get more relevant to me than ever. So thank you for being here, and a special thanks if you've been here since the start of this journey through Ezekiel. I started it two years ago on this podcast, and this book is 48 chapters in length, so we really just passed the halfway point, and also a turning point. As I mentioned before, up until now, Ezekiel has been focused on the siege of the Babylonians and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And so I j- really just spent the last two years of my life really digging into that one event. And the focus is about to change so much. It's it's practically like we're starting a whole new book. And so I took a few weeks off here from the podcast because I did just recently launch another one. It's called Weird Stuff in the Bible. And so check it out if you like weird stuff or or the Bible or me. And I like you too, and I'm glad you're here. So let's get into Ezekiel 25 together. We're about to begin the third major section of the book of Ezekiel. The way I break it down, the first section was chapters 1 through 11, the prophecies of Jerusalem's destruction. Then the second section was chapters 12 through 24, the reasons why it was going to be destroyed. I could have called it 13 reasons why. It was 13 chapters about all the reasons that God had to wipe out his own city and his own temple. And so now we're in this third section and the third section is chapters 25 through 32. And this is the section that is the most focused on the gentile nations. And I might even do some some crossover episodes with my weird stuff in the Bible podcast because as I go through some of these chapters, there is some really strange stuff that we're going to encounter in this section. In chapter 28, we're going to learn all about the origin of Satan. In chapter 32, the Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt, he receives a tour of hell. And we're going to follow along with them. We're going to do it from a great distance, but we're going to follow along at what Pharaoh was shown. And then whenever we get done with this section, the rest of the book is going to be more focused on future prophecies. Some of the things that we see happening today and other things yet to come. And so exciting things are ahead on this podcast. Make sure that you are subscribed so that you can follow along. So as you saw in the episode title, we're getting into some prophecies against various Muslim nations. The, the prophecy that Ezekiel gives today, this was written around five or 600 BC. And if you know your history very well, the religion of Islam, it didn't begin until way after that, like 1400 years later. So why am I calling today's lesson Prophecies Against the Muslim Nations? Well, God is going to select seven nations to give notice to, It's kind of interesting to me that all of these seven nations are Muslim nations today. And so I'll talk a little bit about that at the end, because it might have some indications about some things going on in geopolitics today. The prophecies against the seven Muslim nations, they're going to take us through chapters 25 through 32, this whole section. But we're going to cover four of them today. Four of them are just in this one chapter, chapter 25, right here. So we're going to cover the whole chapter of Ezekiel twenty-five today, and to me, this chapter really gives kind of similar vibes to the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus wrote in Revelation. If if you you probably heard sermons or sermon series or done Bible studies on those letters, you know they're like little one-paragraph letters, and um, there's three or four per chapter. It goes on for a couple chapters with those. That is kind of like what this chapter is. You know, there's we're going to cover four of them today. Like I said, think of this as four letters to the nations surrounding Israel, okay? In um, Jesus' has seven letters to the churches in Revelation, as you read those, they're kind of repetitive. There's like a pattern to them. Each one of them is unique, but they all have the same pattern. And that's what we're going to see with these four letters today. They all have a pattern to them, and they all kind of flow in, like a similar template, you might say. So the first one is the prophecy or the letter against Ammon. And I want to read, that takes up the first seven verses of this chapter. So let's read that and then talk about what God is writing to them. So Ezekiel 25, verses 1 through 7, reading from the ESV, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because you said, Aha! over my sanctuary when it was profaned, and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and over the house of Judah when they went into exile, therefore, behold... I am handing you over to the people of the east for a possession. And they shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk. I will make Rabbah a pasture for camels and Ammon a fold for flocks. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you and will hand you over as plunder to the nations, and I will cut you off from the peoples and will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So each of these pronouncements, or these letters, they're going to include a few repeating elements, okay? They're going to announce first which nation is being addressed. Then it's going to say the thing they did wrong, and then what's going to happen to them. And so this time, Ammon was addressed, and the thing they did wrong was to say, aha, over the destruction of Jerusalem. So in other words, they mocked Israel and taunted them. And they were arrogant about it as they watched Israel be destroyed. You know, they are saying, serves you right. Ha ha ha. What a bunch of losers. And, and God doesn't like it whenever we have that kind of attitude. <laughs> That's, that attitude is called, uh, it's a, there's a German phrase for it, schadenfreude. I I'm, know I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it correctly, Perfectly, but it's something like Schadenfreude in German. It's like Schadenfreude, something like that. So this means, according to, I went to the best source of information on the internet, it's called Wikipedia. You might have heard of it. (laughs) And the definition of Schadenfreude is the experience of pleasure, joy, or self-satisfaction that comes from learning of or witnessing the troubles, failures, or humiliation of another. And so congratulations, you learned some German today, Schadenfreude. It means to, they're dancing around in joy because something bad happened to someone else. And we got to be careful about this, guys. You know, there there is a place for expressing celebration when the enemies of the Lord are defeated. You know, there is a way that that can be acceptable. But there's also a way we're celebrating over a defeated enemy that it can be mean-spirited and cruel. And, you know, I think the difference is usually pretty obvious. But if you're not sure... If you're not sure what's going on in your heart, you might want to refrain from celebrating. You know, be careful whenever you hear that something bad happened to someone and and you kind of just laugh about it. You know, well, it serves them right, you know, because whenever we take that kind of tack, sometimes that can make God mad at you. And like I said, God knows your, or you don't, might not know your heart, but God knows your heart. So you just got to be careful when you smart off about someone. Um, this is what the book of Obadiah was all about. It was directed against the nation of Edom. And they're going to come up later in this lesson too. But Edom, when Israel was destroyed, Edom excessively celebrated about it. And they were just overjoyed at Jerusalem's downfall at the hands of the Babylonians. And so in the book of Obadiah, God was saying, since you couldn't contain your glee at seeing Israel destroyed, I'm going to make sure the same thing happens to you. And then that's what happened. So um, that's, there, there's a, it's just one chapter, but that's a, the focus of one book in the Bible. I, one time I filled in for a children's church at uh, the church where I used to serve. I did. I mean, I filled in several times for children's church, but one time I used the book of Obadiah as my lesson. Um, this, this was probably the only time in 2000 years of church history that someone used Obadiah for a children's church lesson, but I did. (laughs) And here's why I did it. Cause we had a lot of sibling groups in the class and I noticed there is, uh, you know, which is common among sibling groups, but there's a lot of rivalry between them. And there's a lot of um, attitude expressed <laughs> among the siblings. You know, sometimes a brother might get in trouble. And so the little sister was right there to kind of mock him whenever he got called out for something. Or maybe little Susie gets in trouble. And so Bobby's right there to be like, yeah, Susie. And, you know, you've if you've been around siblings, you know, they make these little comments to each other. They can be a little bratty about that kind of stuff. And and so one time when I was filling in on children's church, I decided, hey, let's let's talk about this. So um, we we talked about Obadiah, and we talked about you know that God doesn't like it when you take that kind of attitude towards someone else uh, getting disciplined or getting punished. And so the kids learned about Obadiah that morning. They learned a little bit of German too. All right, uh, you know what? Let me say though, this is not just a problem with kids. Um, It's kind of obvious with kids, but this can be a problem with adults as well. We can react in a too mean-spirited way when something bad happens to someone that we don't like. Whenever you see a political candidate that you don't like very much, and he goes down in humiliating fashion, or she, you know, that sometimes, or maybe it's a public figure that we disliked and they, they pass away. Or I've seen this lately, a, a famous pastor has a fall from grace and, and some people are celebrating it because they didn't like that pastor. They didn't like his theology. And so they they celebrate the fact that he got caught in a scandal. Guys, check your heart. Check your heart when you see something like that, or when you say something like that. That there might be a godly way to celebrate when when a in an, in an, in an enemy of the Lord when they when they lose or they fail. There might be a godly way to celebrate that, but also there can be a mean spirited way to do that. There's a mean spirited streak in each one of us that kind of wants to dance on people's grave, you know, the, or literally or figuratively but you know someone you don't like passes away and that's the day you decide to just kind of talk about what a terrible person they were you know hey when we see that happen to our enemies moments like that should always humble us okay because when we when we look at that one day we might lose one day we may die and so whenever we see our enemies fall we need to do that with some soberness and so to to bring it back here to what was going on with Ammon. That was not the way that they looked at Israel's downfall. Ammon had parties and parades, and, and you know, Israel, as we established for 24 chapters, Israel deserved everything they got, but God didn't like Israel's enemies celebrating it. He didn't like their parades. And so God says that punishment that Israel received that Ammon celebrated, now that punishment was going to fall on Ammon as well, and they were going to be conquered by the people of the east. And then that is what happened. And the Ammonites were defeated by a group called the Kidonites. They were to the east. They were and they were just a group of nomads. They were barely a country themselves. And so that's what ended up happening to Ammon. You got to be careful when you have a mocking attitude. Now, is there any parallel between what the Ammonites did when they saw the Israelites destroyed here and and also what we've seen break out across the entire planet over the past month? as we've seen people who were literally celebrating that October 7th attack on Israel by Hamas. I do see a parallel there. We're going to revisit that idea as we wrap up at the end today. But for now, let's get into the next letter. Ezekiel 25, verses 8 through 11. This one is the prophecy against Moab. Verse 8, Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir said, Behold, the house of Judah is like all the other nations. Therefore, I will lay open the flank of Moab from the cities, from its cities on its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth-Jeshemoth, bel and Kiriathim. I will give it along with the Ammonites to the people of the east as a possession, that the Ammonites may be remembered no more among the nations. And I will execute judgments upon Moab. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So this one right here is against Moab. And their big problem is that they said Israel was just like all the other nations. Now, what did they mean when they said that? Well, it was probably kind of like the Freud thing. They were saying that there is nothing special about Israel, that their God couldn't protect them any better than any of the other nations' gods, and so there was nothing special about Israel and Israel's God. Now, if you listened a couple episodes back, we talked about why Satan hates Israel. And as I pointed out back there, Something that the Bible and every Jew hater can agree about is that there is something different going on whenever it comes to Israel. There is something unique about Israel. And God doesn't like it when Israel is mocked. And people try to say there's nothing special about Israel. He says, Moab, since you said Israel is like all the other nations because they got wiped out, I'm going to make sure that you're like all the other nations and I'll wipe you out. And so Moab is also they're going to be wiped out by these people, the Ketomites, that I mentioned before. And Ammon and Moab, there's no Ammonites and Moabites today. Um, they, along with the region of Edom, they have formed what is the modern country of Jordan. And it's just east of Israel. And, uh, and speaking of Edom, they will be the recipients of God's next letter to these Muslim nations. Verses 12 through 14, the prophecy against Edom. Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah, and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom, and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate. From Teman even to Dedan, they shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger, and according to my wrath. And then they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God." So Edom's problem here is that they acted revengefully. (laughs) Revengefully is kind of a funny word to me. It sounds like something Batman would say. Okay, so how did Edom act revengefully against Israel? Well, let's go into a bit of historical background right here. So the nations that we've mentioned so far today, they've all been nations that had their origins in a story in Genesis. Ammon and Moab were the sons of Lot. And Lot is pretty famous for like the whole Sodom and Gomorrah story. There's even after the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, there's a very gross story in Genesis 19 about Lot fathering two two children, two sons. I want to spare you the details here, but long story short, Lot was Abraham's nephew. Abraham was the father of Israel. Lot was the father of Ammon and Moab. And so there's kind of a family connection here is what I'm saying. Then Abraham had, had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Esau and Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes and um so that's where Israel came from but Esau also created a nation of descendants these were called the Edomites and so there's another family connection right here and if you want more on that you can go to Genesis 25 so now you have the Jews and Israel but they kind of have this distant family relation distant relationship to Ammon and Edom and Moab and so um at one point, when the Israelites are like marching through the wilderness and they're on their way to the promised land, I'm kind of speaking from memory here, but God basically says to them, Don't make any problems for Ammon and Edom and Moab. Those guys are your distant relatives. You're going to be neighbors with them. So try to get along with them. However, Ammon and Edom and Moab, they prove to be very inhospitable neighbors. <laughs> they they ban the Jews from marching through their territory. They get into little fights with the Jews during the wilderness wanderings. And in particular, These people, the Edomites, proved to be a thorn in Israel's side all throughout the Old Testament. And so another cross-reference for you on this is Jeremiah chapter 27. In that chapter, this is around the same time as what, what Ezekiel was prophesying, around that same time period. But these nations got together, and they had a little powwow. They're noticing that this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he's starting to become a major force. He's conquering nations left and right. And so they decide that what they need to do is stand together against Nebuchadnezzar, uh, kind of be like an ancient NATO, okay? So these nations are kind of making an agreement. If one of them gets attacked, they are all gonna go to war to defend each other. And then Jeremiah comes along and Jeremiah says, guys, don't try this. Don't even try to stand against Babylon. Like God has already decreed, Babylon is gonna steamroll through here. Don't try to fight him. You're just gonna lose, okay? When he shows up, surrender to him do what he wants if you do that you're going to be fine but don't try to fight him don't try to run away just submit to this person because god has decreed he is going to be in charge for a while well the nations don't want to hear that they don't listen to jeremiah so they go ahead and they make their little alliance they go against his advice but as it as when push came to shove even though these nations talked a big talk when the chips were down when israel was finally attacked, they did not honor this alliance. You know, Ammon laughed, Moab mocked, Edom didn't help. And so God is calling them out right here. He's saying, hey, you did not honor your agreement that you made. Now it's kind of interesting because this is not an agreement that God wanted them to make in the first place, you know, and they could have maybe said that. Well, well, God didn't want us to make this agreement. So why do you want us to honor it? But 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 what God is saying is, yeah, I didn't want you to make it but since you did, I expect you to keep your word. And so that's what they're in trouble for right here. They didn't keep their word. They didn't go help Israel. They acted revengefully. So God says, I'm going to act with vengeance against you. God's telling Edom that everybody from T-Man to Dedan is going to die. So in T-Man to Dedan, that's their way of saying from Maine to, to, to California. So it means everybody all across the whole region. And, um, there's one more nation that God is going to call out for this, for the, for the same thing, acting revengefully. It's this last nation in the lineup today. It's the Philistines. And so maybe you're listening today and you're kind of thinking, well, I'm getting a bunch of history lessons. You know, what does this have to do with my life today? What is uh, reading about Edomites and Philistines? What does this have? Hey, if, if that's what you're wondering by this point, I got some good news. I actually have an answer for that so the the philistines they occupy an area that's known as the gaza strip and that area today is run by a group called hamas and so what i'm going to do here is take a short break and then i want to talk about what god said to the philistines and i want to talk about some of the things going on in modern times as we close down Ezekiel 25 verses 15 through 17, this is going to be the prophecy against Philistia. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy in never-ending enmity, therefore thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines, and I will cut off the Cherithites and destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. And that that last verse right there, that verse was popularized many years ago by a film called uh, Pulp Fiction, which I haven't seen, but apparently it's one of the character's quotes as he quotes that verse a lot, Ezekiel 25, 17. So anyway, um, I see that verse referenced a lot, but by people who've probably never read any other verse in the Bible. <laughs> so it kind of sticks out to me. This is the judgment on the Philistines right here. And um, when I say Philistine, Everybody and their grandma, they recognize the word Philistine. This is one of the most famous biblical villains. They're kind of like the generic bad guys of the the ancient Israel, like Old Testament time. And um, one of the interesting things about the Philistines is that they occupied a territory in the promised land, and it was territory that God had wanted to give to Israel. Um, The book of Joshua is about taking the promised land, but unfortunately, Joshua never took everything that God wanted him to have. And so they left a few pockets of people scattered around. And um, consequently, they had, when I say they, I mean Israel, they had opposition from these pockets of people for literally hundreds of years. And it was just all because Joshua did not do the complete job. And so one of the areas that Joshua failed to take was this little area called the Gaza Strip. It's a little piece of land that's between Israel and Egypt. It's also on the border of the Mediterranean Sea. And this was a region of the five Philistine cities, and there were giants in those cities. And closely connected with that fact is that these were demonic strongholds, heavy demonic activity in this place, and there were evil spirits who were really in charge, in control of this territory. And so since Joshua did not drive them all out, these evil spirits over there, they made sure that generation after generation, the people of the Gaza Strip would try to oppress Israel. And that continues all the way up until these verses right here in Ezekiel. It's said that they took vengeance with malice of soul. The the people of Philistia, they had wicked, dark, evil hearts. And um, the spirits that are in charge of that region, they continue to operate up until today. Where in the modern nation of Israel, um, they got a bunch of land as they formed this nation of Israel, you know, 1948, and they expanded their borders a bit in the '67 but they have never taken this little piece of land called the Gaza Strip, the same piece of land that Joshua failed to take thousands of years ago. And so is that a coincidence? Um, I would not say so. I think the same evil spirits are still there, and they're doing the same thing they used to do. They're trying to keep Israel out of that territory. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in the Bible. And so let's do a little bit of a word study here. So the people who occupy this area of the Gaza Strip they are known as the palestinians now they claim to be the rightful owners of really the entire region of israel not just the gaza strip but they they chant that they should be in possession of everything that the jews currently have they they call it from the river to the sea and that means everything they they mean that they want israel the jewish people out of everywhere they want genocide against the jewish people that's what river to the sea means and so when they claim to be the rightful owners that they are the real nation of that area, um, that they're trying to say that they have always been a nation there and that they've been called Palestine, that that was their name for, you know, all throughout history. That is not exactly true. Um, Well, first of all, they never declared themselves a sovereign nation until after Israel did in 1948. You know, until then, they were fine just to say this is the region of Palestine. They didn't call it an actual nation of Palestine. But once it, once the Jewish people got a nation there, then all of a sudden they wanted to be a nation too. And so and so this, this piece of land of Israel, this area has swapped hands countless times over history, over the centuries. You know, first the Jewish people had it and it was under the control of uh, the Assyrians. It was under the control of the Babylonians, under control of the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Islamic Caliphate and the Ottoman Empire. And then after World War II, Britain, the British people, they had control of the land and uh, the United Nations decided they were going to give this land back to the original owners, the Jewish people. And so, you know, whether people like it or not, and a lot of people don't, but that makes them the rightful owners today. It really doesn't matter anything that happened before 1948 because the United Nations declared, decided in 1948, this belongs to the Jews now. And there was never a Palestinian nation right there before until the Jews got it back and all of a sudden the Muslims decided they wanted to rewrite history and pretend that this was like their sacred homeland, okay? As you look at a map of the Middle East, 99% of the land in the Middle East is occupied by Muslims. But they cannot stand it that there is this little tiny sliver of desert called Israel that they don't have control of. And so, um, and and there's a... There's more to it than that that we'll get into later, but let's continue talking about these words Palestine or Palestinian. Where did that come from? Well, the Greeks got control of the land of Israel, um, ancient, ancient times back, you know, a few hundred years before Jesus was born and the Greeks wanted to kind of thumb their noses at the Jewish people. And so instead of referring to this land as the land of Israel, they referred to it by the name of the enemies of the Jewish people the Philistines, their word for Philistine was Palestina. And so that's where that word comes from. It means the same thing. The word Palestine was a term that was just invented to disparage the Jewish people and their claim of ownership over the land of Israel. And that's the only reason that people pretend that there's a Palestinian state today. And so in closing today, I just want to mention that what's been happening in our world over the past few weeks— Um, As we look at October 7th and what happened on that day, the nation of Israel was attacked by these modern-day Philistines, and they were attacked in ways that are just as barbaric and savage as how the Philistines behaved thousands of years ago. You know, as you read through the Old Testament and you read about Israel being attacked, you read some horrible things sometimes. uh, Stuff about uh, raping the women, ripping open the pregnant women, uh, attacking the Jews with agricultural tools, burning them. You know, you see all these savage descriptions, and yet we saw those exact scenes play out in modern times just here recently. The exact same things that happened to the Jews in the Bible in the exact same way. It happened this year on October 7th. And um, it's just amazing to me. You know, you look at these people, the, these people groups have lived in this area for the past three or 4,000 years, and yet they're behaving the exact same way over all that time why is that well as i've been saying there are evil spirits demonic strongholds demonic forces who control these regions and so generation after generation can come and go but the same demons remain and they want to do the same thing today that they wanted to do back then they want to disparage the jewish people disparage their claim of ownership over the land of israel and and they want to do that because that land belongs to god God says it in the Bible. He set an angel over it named Michael. And there are territorial spirits who are assigned to all these nations, in Israel itself and all around Israel. And I also believe right there in that Gaza Strip. And so that's why these places don't change. It's a stronghold. And right there in the Gaza Strip, the Israelites have never been able to take it. This is a spiritual war that has just gone on and existed for centuries. So this this subject right here that I'm talking about, I get into it a bit more on my other podcast, Weird Stuff in the Bible. And so if you want some more information on all this, make sure you are subscribed to that one. Some of the things I talk about in that one, they do supplement some of the material that we cover here in Ezekiel. And um, so anyway, speaking of seeing things from ancient times play out today, I just want you to recall what we said at the start of this chapter when we talked about the word against Ammon. Let me read that again. It said, Thus says the Lord God, because you said, Aha! over my sanctuary when it was profaned and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate. You see, we see right there at the beginning, God does not like it when his people are attacked in his land and other people say, Aha! over it. When they laugh at Israel's destruction, when they mock the cruel mayhem that's going on against to innocent children. You know, there has to be something particularly dark in the heart. When people look at those innocents who were being slaughtered over there and some people like they try to ignore it or some people even joke about it or gloat about it and it's happening all, it's astounding as you go on social media and you see people just talking like this. I've seen it from the political left, I've seen it from the political right, I've even seen it in the church. I've seen Christians on social media and they decide right now this is the time to reaffirm my stand in replacement theology. Not me personally, that's what they're doing. They're trying to just, they want to reaffirm their stand right now in replacement theology. And, you know, that's just not relevant right now. Okay, when Jewish children are taken captive and there's babies being beheaded and, and, and they're trying to get the hostages back, and this is not the right time to have a theological debate about that. Why do you pick that moment? Of all moments, why do you pick right now that you want to talk about uh, the Jews rejected Jesus 2,000 years ago, so God is done with them, and they're just getting what they deserve. Why do you have to talk about that right now? You know, 99% of the time, I will have a a respectful dialogue with you about replacement theology. I'll talk to you about it all day. I'll talk about it as much as you want. I'm not going to attack your character. I'm not going to attack your motives. I'll have that conversation. But when you decide that October 8th of 2023... When that's the day you want to talk about replacement theology, that's the day you want to make the case that God has abandoned the Jews and you want to talk about how Ben Shapiro is actually going to hell because he rejects Jesus. You know, when that's the day you want to talk about that stuff, I don't believe you have good intentions. I think you're just being an anti-Semite. And so I've learned as I do this podcast, there are certain topics that when you talk about them, there's certain things that just they incite a lot of controversy, okay, <laughs> like from Christians, okay? because clearly it's mainly Christians listening to my show, and there's certain topics that will just really kind of get, get things tur- stirred up, okay? When you talk about spiritual gifts, when you talk about the rapture, when you talk about the devil, th- those are things that can really get people's attention and, and incite debate. And I'm okay with friendly debate, but one of the topics that kind of brings people out of the woodwork is the Jewish people. And whenever you want to talk about if God has a plan for them for today, and so, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not here saying that they're all actually saved. I know that most of them reject Jesus. I think we covered this on episode 99 a few weeks, ago, a few weeks ago. Um, but when I did that episode, I, I ta- it was called "Why Satan Hates Israel," and man, that sure just brought the anti-Semites out of the woodwork. And and listen to some of the comments here that I got after that episode. Some people were saying they talking about the Jews. Okay. They work directly with Satan and demons through the practice of witchcraft, and that's where they get their instructions. They use your men and money to fight their wars. An- another person said, They control governments and legal systems and are above the law. Someone else said, talking about Israel, It's a centerpiece of end times events, because the Lord Rothschild issued the Balfour Declaration in 1917, and it took two world wars to, pu- to pull it off. <laughs> so there's that was just a, some, some of many, okay? Um, th- that last comment there, though, is kind of entertaining to me, just because it gives it gives billionaires from a hundred years ago more authority over the world than what you say God Himself has. <laughs> I'm kind of like, dude, God is the one who calls the shots, okay? Especially when it comes to end time Bible prophecy and what His plans are for the nation of Israel. And so, if you have a a biblical argument for me, give the biblical argument, okay? Don't give me some conspiracy theory from 100 years ago. If God wanted to reestablish the nation of Israel, God can do it, okay? And God could use a guy named Rothschild, or God could use the United Nations. However God wants to do it, God is going to bring those things to pass, okay? So when you say that, it's like, as far as I'm concerned, that's just still backing up my interpretation of the Bible, because God is the one making all these things happen. But you know, it's bad enough, and, and I'm speaking to people who call themselves Christians here, it's bad enough to just kind of write Israel off as being no different than any other nation. Okay. That that God has as much to say about them as he does about any other country. I I think that's kind of bad enough. You know, if you want to be like Moab and say the house of Judah is like all the other nations, that's what God was upset with Moab about. If you want to do that too. Okay, fine. You do you. I'm not going to stand too close to you in a thunderstorm, but (laughs) go ahead. But when you see these people that just all decide the aftermath of a terror attack in Israel, that this is the time to start talking about, well, you know, the Jews rejected Jesus. They're actually the enemies of God. Like, when that's the time to talk about this, as if you're justifying what happened to them, okay? Hey, the Hamas terrorists, they reject Jesus too, okay? Why don't you say the same thing about them? Why do you just want to say it about the Jews? I don't know why you won't take the time to talk about Hamas as much as you want to complain about the Jews. I actually do know You're an anti-Semite who's fueled by Satan. Okay, so when I see those comments, and I knew I was going to get them, but it's still astounding. I'm like, gee, people, like, what is... I don't want to just focus on the negative, okay? I had some good responses, too. Um, I had one from somebody who points this out. They say, I don't want to anger anyone in regards to Islam, but the Quran literally promotes anti-Semitism. Speaking of Muslims going after the Jews, causing them to hide behind the trees and rocks, where even... They said trees and rocks will call to the followers of Muhammad that a Jew is hiding behind them and to come kill them now. There's plenty of info to be gleaned from their texts, though I don't recommend doing so other than knowing the difference between the Quran and the Bible. And so thanks for that comment. We had some, you know, just other informative and helpful comments, too. But my goodness, most of it was pretty negative. You know, most of it was just it sounded and it was just almost like gibberish is like, I read some of these comments, I'm like, I just imagine the person typing it was frothing at the mouth or something like that. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we, we had some good helpful responses, but most of it was just from the gutters. And, and listen, guys, we know from End Times Bible prophecy that in the tribulation period, most nations are going to come against Jerusalem. And I would say, as you look at what happened, the response to what happened in October uh, in Israel. When you see the response, you see parades breaking out in the United Kingdom and, and even in the United States, people and all this outpouring of support for the Palestinians, the so-called Palestinians. When you see all this, I think those sentiments are already there. Like those, those what, the, what, how the Bible describes the attitude toward Israel at the end of the world, it feels like we're already there. And based on the savagery that we witnessed on October 7th, all of that just proves to me more and more that those same spirits that Joshua failed to displace, that they are still in operation today. And so modern Israel is right is in there right now trying to clear all that junk out. Are they going to finally evict those spirits? This is another opportunity for them to do that. And uh, let's just watch and see. That's all we, we can pray. And we'll watch and see if they finally get rid of that stronghold. One thing that I do find interesting, this Palestinian flag that they're waving all around today. You know, you've probably seen it as you see these people march through the streets, waving Palestinian flags, trying to show their support of the Philistines out there over the Jews. Look at the colors. Look at the colors of that flag. They are white, black, red, and green. It's the same colors of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation. Is that a coincidence? I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in the Bible. And I hope the Bible makes more sense to you after this episode. This has been Luke Taylor, and thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast.